Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello again. Welcome back. Thank you for joining whatever the case may be. If you care about mentoring and reverse mentoring, or if that just has you curious, stick around for a great episode. Before we start, I'll put this little bug in your ear. Not every podcast has to be in the interview format. In fact, there's an opportunity to stand out with a more narrative documentary format. I've done one of these for my swimming podcast and one for a client in the life sciences. I'm also hooked on listening to 13 Minutes to the Moon from the BBC, which I recommend regardless. Uh, This season they're talking about the Apollo 13 disaster by talking to all the people involved in it. And telling a story from a few different angles based on conversations with different experts adds a lot of depth to the story. And the range of possible topics is huge. I have a really long list. If that has you thinking, send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Now, let's dive right into it. Susan Nemitz is the founder and CEO at the Nemitz Group, a life science consultancy, and also holds both of those same titles at Corval, a SaaS platform. Susan, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. It's a delight to be here. So tell us a little bit about both of those businesses of yours, just by way of background. So both businesses serve the life sciences industry, thus I'm delighted to be here talking to your audience. I grew up in the industry in many different levels in manufacturing companies, both big and small, and then started my consulting firm in about 2003-04. And at that time, what we were trying to do, what I was trying to do, and since have grown to try to really help, particularly early to mid-stage companies, solve this complex commercialization problem. So we've built a team of people that have expertise in the industry. They've all been in the industry. And as you know from your many guests that you've had on your program, there's just a lot of support you need from experts. So that's the consulting side of what I do. And then over the course of that, there are certain activities and planning efforts that I really believe could be solved in a better way. And so Corval is a startup, as uh, many of our clients are startups on the drug side. And what we're trying to do is develop a tool that allows people to do this commercialization planning, develop a roadmap, and something that may take six to eight weeks on the consulting side in a few hours and really infuse that technology with the knowledge that we have from the consulting side. And the vision would be that if you can use technology to help uh, solve some of those planning challenges, budget, resourcing, et cetera, then your consultants can really help you solve the more complex issues and the the nutty problems that we're all trying to do to get drugs to patients. Ah, I like it. I thought for a second, you're not like giving away your own business with software. That can't be it. Yeah, a lot of people say that. And I just think that when you're in a business, and I've heard you speak as well on those the sort of communications realms that you're in, when you're in it, you can help figure out a better way to solve the problems of the customers that you're supporting. Right. So today, the topic is mentoring in its many forms, because I reached out to you to talk about reverse mentoring based on a blog post you did probably last fall, maybe as far mm-hmm. back as last summer. 
So let's start by describing, how would you describe traditional mentoring? Well, I think that mentoring has been one of those, on the one hand, elusive things for many people, finding a mentor, and on the other hand, a really powerful option for people who have found one. And it seems like most people define it as the senior wise person sharing that wisdom with a younger up and coming generation, whether that be in the world of business and our professions or academia to find that person that sort of guides you along the way. Yeah, so I'm curious, we're going to talk about reverse mentoring in a second, but I'm thinking it would just hit me. Do you really need someone that far ahead of you? And yet, but the advantage of that might be they've seen the whole path as opposed to someone who's a little bit ahead of you can help pull you along, but maybe doesn't have the vision about all your possibilities at that point. And I think that's a broad definition of learning, continuous learning and learning from multiple resources. I agree with you. I had many people in my career that I learned from often actually when I was early marketing people that were in agencies, medical communications firms or advertising agencies or others, those people knew their domain far better than I did and I learned from them. I don't know that would suffice as the definition of a mentor in the way that a lot of people think about it, but in this day and age, I agree with you. I think that as long as you're willing to learn from multiple sources, it doesn't have to be that that one person or the gray hair, as people say, except for those of us that color our hair, in which case <laughs> we try to avoid that. But yeah, I see the value of having someone, and this was never me, but having someone who's who knows the landscape and says, here's, here's all the things you might want to look at, your career. So let's jump into reverse mentoring. So clearly something very different and I think very exciting. So tell us what that looks like compared to traditional. So first, just as a qualifier, as someone who likes to think of herself as a continuous learner, I'm not an expert in this field. I'm sure there are people that would describe themselves um, in that way. However, what I learned or observed many years ago in dealing with physicians in my life, that physicians were struggling, and obviously a lot of these people are our customers, struggling with the rapid technology that was influencing their field. And so I think I first heard the term of reverse mentoring how many, 10 or 15 years ago, where the idea was a senior physician who had all this knowledge of patient care would partner with someone who understood up-to-date and iPhones and how to search for medical information. <laughs> I think in business, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry where we are, I think similarly, reverse mentoring was for a long time that concept of a senior person who really didn't know how to use their iPhone <laughs> or the grandparent or the professional person that said, can I have the young 20-something year old come and explain how my laptop works? What I love about the term now is I think that it actually means so much more. And I think that in our world today, we really are going to rely on the young people who probably actually know more than we do about the changing cultural norms and race in this country and ex inclusiveness and accepting people at all different sort of levels and stages of who they are. And so to answer your question, I think reverse mentoring today is really sharing the wisdom from both perspectives. I like a couple of things you said there. So it's not just technology, right? Right. And we're hoping that we can learn and help shape the future for those young people. 
And because the technology side is moving on a increasingly upward curve, mm-hmm. I think reverse mentoring of that type is just going to have to accelerate because right. we're all going to be trying to keep up with everything that's new, which typically the younger people are immersed in. Yeah, I think that there's something about, I will say my generation, you look to be much younger. So it's hard to say yeah, <laughs> where we all are. But let's say someone who's in the uh, last 10 years of their career, whatever, wherever that end may be. We learned in a linear way. So it was, we learned this, and then we learned that, and we learned the next thing. And so our ability to mentor was, as you said earlier, really helping someone understand what that path is. I think young people today, because they've had technology their whole lives, they're learning in a multidimensional way all the time. And I think we only need to look at, or my kids look at me, when I'm texting someone I basically shut everything else out. I can't do two things at once (laughs) where they can be texting and watching a TV show and making a snack and talking to somebody on the phone and their brains are just wired differently than ours are. And so what I wonder about in the reverse mentoring concept is, are they just able to absorb so much more? And so the benefit of a senior level person to have someone interacting with them is that person has a broad base of knowledge and it's deep on a lot of topics. And so that sharing both directions really allows the more senior person, if they open their minds to it, to learn a lot more and more quickly. And it doesn't have to be only about how to use one's iPhone or program the remote. It's like having a a radar. Good term. You tapped into somebody who has a big vision of a lot of things going on. Whereas as we get older, naturally, I think we become more focused on going deep, as you say. Yeah, it's been fascinating for us, as I've shared with you before, that the the Nemitz Group side, we hire everyone, anyone who comes in as a consultant has had to be in industry at director level or above. So by definition, we get a certain person at an age and stage in their career. And what that also had meant that up until recently, we couldn't really have a you know, really young person in our group, in our team. And so the experience uh, last summer of Amy, who I wrote about, being able to join us to do a specific project, which was the intent. So I can't say we started it in a reverse mentoring way, but her just calm and sense of not being all wrapped up tight necessarily about anything really allowed her to help us solve some problems for clients that we might not have otherwise had the exposure to be able to do. Nice. That brings us to what was your intent when you hired her? What was she brought on for? So she had really has a fantastic experience. She's a graphics artist person. She had that training through school and she's a computer science person in the world of consulting and in a world where we're trying to do more with technology more quickly. That was great, a great background. The specific project we had her, wanted to help her help us do was evolve our knowledge management and some of our key frameworks and tools and ways that we take the work that we do over and over again in the consulting world and make it, not productize it per se, but make it more usable. If I've helped you with a scientific platform or I've helped you with a brand plan and we have a way that we know works pretty repetitively. How do we make that something that we can share with you, the new client, off the bat? And so having someone who had both technology skills and graphic skills, and she just was a nice, is just a really nice person. So that's where we started. Okay. And then obviously you 
through the course of that project or those projects, you realize that she had probably more to offer than all of that. Right. So what? give us some examples of where she might have taken an unexpected approach to what you thought. Well, you therein lies um, one of the opportunities that came through the pandemic. And I know that we're still so burdened by the tragedy of that whole 18 months, 16 months, how long has it been? But we were asked in the brief little window of time last September to do an offsite, an outside, an outdoor offsite for a client. They wanted to get their team together. Their company was 50, 60 people at the time. It was all going to be socially distanced in Massachusetts. It had to be under 50 people at that time. And so how were we going to do an offsite that was outside in a tent, no technology or very little technology, have people be in breakouts, have them be able to talk with each other and not have paper. Because remember at that point in September, there was like, you didn't want to share a pen. You didn't want to touch anything someone else had touched. Thankfully, we've learned more since that time. So one of the questions we had for the the consignor team was, I wonder if we could do, get an app. Let's get Amy. Let's get Mikey. And man, she was just, sure, I can do that. No, an advertising agency would have had it an eight week project and tens of thousands of dollars and (laughs) requirements. Exactly. And she researched just by the way people research and came up with an app that was a guidebook, I think was the name of it, not to plug anything. We didn't get anything from it. And it was really inexpensive per user. And she and someone else on my team programmed it. And so we had the agenda and we had the ability to use it for social media. So people took pictures of this offsite and shared it and we pushed notices and we never would have considered, we wouldn't have considered it with the pandemic issue, but we wouldn't have considered it without someone that we could turn to for whom that was just a sure. And as I shared with you previously, she'd never been to an offsite. So, cause she was 23 <laughs> years old and the idea that this was a high intensity, oh my gosh, she got to script it all out. Sure. I can do that. Sure. I can come. It was really, it was just really a nice experience for all of us. She doesn't suffer from the curse of knowledge. like Exactly. Get- <laughs> yes. That's a really good benefit. Another benefit of, of reverse mentoring, actually. To It's like a little kid not having the fear. Well, a Gen Z millennial probably doesn't have the curse of knowledge to, to worry about some of the things the rest of us do. The way you just described how she researched it as a young person would do, they've grown up with, we would have had to go to the library and index cards and whatever. That's I don't right. Mean, right. And they just go, somebody's done this and it's on YouTube or wherever. And, or I have friends who don't can point me in the right direction. Yep. Yeah. And it worked well. And then we just did another offsite now for this company that's larger, more people still outside. And we use the app again. So we didn't have some of the same constraints as we did before. This time we, Amy still helped us. I'm not going to lie, but she didn't have to be <laughs> present on site. Yeah. It was, it's just really, it was a really nice thing. And she did help in some of the technology areas. I, one example that I have for myself is you know, I'm on a lot of the platforms, but I, don't overtly communicate on them other than our email newsletter and blog that shows up on our website. I grew up in a, you have to be very careful what you say and how you put your voice out there. And I think probably as a woman, even more so, there's just being reserved in the generation that I grew up with. So she gave me a little lesson about Twitter when I said, well, I just follow a lot of the politicians in the political realm and I would be uncomfortable weighing in on something as my business self. And she said a lot of people, particularly in 
her generation feel that they want to see leaders communicate and that it's okay to communicate in both the political realm and the social realm and the business realm. And I just remember that as being, well, yeah, of course. It makes so much sense hearing it from someone that just wasn't going to get all stressed out about the whole thing. So aside from the technology and learning sort of her process, what did you take away in the sense of reverse mentoring? How has it changed how you might think about things or do things going forward? I think it, a couple things. One, it made me feel much more comfortable bringing in other young people. When, when I started working right way back in the dark ages, I literally started selling critical care pharmaceuticals right out of college. And it like literally four years of college. I was 22 right. years old as well. And so I think we, I have lost an appreciation for how much positivity someone that young and that open can be. So it made me more comfortable with that. Um, Amy has a particular career vision, so we didn't have a role for her, but we hired another person right out of college right after her to help us in Corval in the tech company. And since that time, as I've shared with you, for this summer, we've added two more interns in Corval from Project OnRamp, which is a group that Life Science Cares has developed or supports. And those two interns uh, come from different backgrounds than a lot of the kids that live in some of our neighborhoods, and, and they have been already just such terrific contributors to our team and so energetic. And so to answer your question, I think it's helped me see the benefit of how much I can learn and my team can learn by infusing our organization with these young people and committing to them that we will teach them as well. I think Amy probably taught us more than we taught her, but she paved the way for the next group, cohort, whatever the right term is of interns that came in. So tell us a little bit more about Project OnRamp. And I've just started hearing about Life Science Cares in the last couple of weeks, honestly. So uh, let me start with Life Science Cares. So it was founded by Rob Perez, I think, five years ago. And there's a group of people that at that time under Rob's leadership really made the commitment to end poverty in the greater Boston area. And the idea is and has been that in our community in Boston, there are so many life sciences companies that have really benefited from investor dollars and the academic centers and just the riches that our industry provides. And there's also a large part of our community that has very little of that. And so the disparity between the two was really the goal. I believe that Life Science Cares is now branched out to the Bay Area, maybe San Diego and Philadelphia. So it's growing. I knew the team when they first started it and it just made so much sense you know, to me and I've been involved at an advisor level. So one of the things that they developed in addition to supporting fundraising that supports various nonprofit partners is that we need to do something about the this sort of path into the life sciences industry to give more opportunity to people who may not otherwise have the mentoring experience that you know, somebody like an Amy or other people may have. And so Project OnRamp, I believe it's one or two years old, is is an organization that sort of goes to communities and schools, colleges where kids may be first generation Americans, they may have come from just a different socioeconomic background and connects them with companies like Corval and the Nimitz Group who have opportunities for internship. Now, of course, there are a few big companies like maybe Biogen and other big firms. But similarly, how are we ever going to diversify at the more senior levels if we don't start at the 
levels that we've been talking about. So that's Project OnRamp. And because we have Corval, that's a tech startup, there's a lot of interest in learning about tech and learning how to be a product manager. And we're learning as well. And then similarly, we can help these young people learn about the life sciences industry and biopharma. So it's all been it's all been great so far, a couple of weeks in. So what struck me there is you're mentioning the tech side. Do you think there's a bigger door? Not not in terms of, well, I don't know what. Just the kids from those socioeconomic backgrounds or wherever are more familiar with just the concept of tech in general because they see it. Whereas life sciences is over there, back there, hidden behind yeah. something. Is that? Yeah, that's. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but I think that could very well be true. I think the language of life sciences is science and pretty sophisticated science, sort of medical, mm -hmm. the medical realm, and pretty sophisticated in that area as well. And business, and I think in the Boston area, even though there are big companies, the startup world of business, it's pretty demanding. And so the likelihood that companies would bring in someone young with no experience is, is just going to be a little bit more challenging without that experience where right. tech yeah you're absolutely right i think the language there is you understand the tech and you're willing to work hard you have a place and you can contribute and i think in our case where we started this company the people who myself and some of my early team members none of us have software tech experience so similar to what we've been talking about we get the benefit of learning you know from others pretty quickly i just see I, you know if kids don't see life science or have any idea about its existence or what the possibilities are, yet they're familiar with tech in some form every day, they go in through that door and f with Corval, for example, now they're opened up. Now they can see the next room. Yeah, there's. I was on a call earlier today um, with someone who's been in SaaS software as a service businesses and we were wrestling with a, a business issue and... The comment this technical person said is that people who've been in software, they, it's predictable, but it does a, there's a certain platform, there's security, there's a way of operating. And if we look at some of the Apple products, for example, if you know how to work an iPhone, you probably know how to work an iPad, you probably know how to work a Mac. And so I think you're right that if someone gets exposure to some elements of that commonality, they'll be able to contribute. And also, from what I've observed is the, the opportunity, the job opportunities in tech are enormous. And as we move on the life sciences and to more health tech, I think there could be emerging, maybe maybe for the first time, actually. Yeah. So I hope that's the yeah, case. Yeah, that's a neat idea. So let's shift gears for the last little bit onto monitoring. Tell us where that came from. This is a cool story, I think. Yeah, and it's all related in terms of how we lift up others that are coming up the ranks. And monitoring is a term, I don't know if my son who's 20, just turned 24, really coined it, but he started to use the term oh, a little bit more than a year ago. Again, from the, the whole pandemic environment, he was working in New York City in investor relations, boom, comes home in March, and now he's remote working in his childhood bedroom upstairs. When we could still get together outside last fall, myself and some of my other friends in the nearby area would get together for a glass of wine and or two and the kids were around literally like the toddlers back in the day <laughs> and the, the kids are but they're all in their 20s and at different stages in their careers and so they didn't have any social interaction either if i 
had people here or I went somewhere, often Jonathan would travel along with me and then we'd see other young people as well. And what started to happen is there was just a lot of conversation from literally 25, 30 year 40, sometimes cases, older senior women in this case, for the most part, you're talking to these young people. And then increasingly the young people would be talking to the, the, the moms about various problems. And we talked to each other's kids about, hey, I really think you should think about this and really added value. And it, all of a sudden it occurred to me how much this unique experience in the pandemic was actually going to make a difference in both of our lives, meaning that we got to see these young people I think probably it contributed a bit to my focus on reverse mentoring too and bringing in more interns and they got to see us. And my son has been in this very office over there playing video games at various times when uh, between his breaks, when I've been on Zoom calls and I know he's learning from that. And similarly, as I've heard him talk about organizational dynamics or politics or culture, I'm learning from him. And um it's just been a fascinating experience. And so anyway, the monitoring was an idea to say, is it is anyone else experiencing this too? So I went out to my network and talked to some moms. I would have loved to talk to the young people, but no surprise, they're not necessarily going to share their <laughs> value for the monitoring quite like the moms will. So it was a good experience. I think one of the silver linings, as I said, about this being forced together over this last year. Were there particular things that you and your friends noticed about the young people and what their skills are or what their challenges are that you're able to I think help one with? of the people, yeah, one of the women made the comment that they were not only learning their skills, their job skills, but they were in fact needing to learn culture, organizational dynamics, politics, and the intensity of those things in a pandemic or remote working environment were probably being experienced much more significantly for these young people who didn't know that they could just ignore the boss that had a one-liner in an email response. <laughs> so those dynamics were important. And then similarly, the social media generation and the immediate response, there were times it was so funny. I sent an email too. I haven't heard back. It's like, you just sent it or just the ex expectation of 24 seven. That was another thing that we watched that in a negative way, the kids too didn't take a break. And I would watch in my son and, and some of my friends, kids too, that 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, if somebody sends something across the transom, again, an old person term, not a young person term, but they felt they had to reply. And so the idea of boundary setting for this generation of people, or at least our kids, it was not really there. And I think the other thing that we learned, and this sort of all ties back together, is just the realization of the privilege <clears throat> that our kids had to have that, and how so many kids of essential workers or people that were really on the front lines didn't have any of that. In fact, if anything, they had less. And again, second glass of wine in, we were talking about all these things and, and really trying to say, how can we make a difference and, and try to share some of the wisdom that we have? Because all of us at this stage in our career, we're not going to be doing this forever. And so how can we extend the reach, if you will? I'm thinking about young people who started their career in the midst of a pandemic. When you talk about those boundaries and, and as you mentioned, they already live on social media where things happen back and forth right, right away. And when you work at home, you can, like you get an email while you're watching TV, oh, I'm just going to wipe this off right now and take care of it. But at some point, then 
your boss thinks he's going to answer me whenever I ask him. And I, I think the, I use this term, I didn't coin it, but I, the asynchronous working. So the Nemitz group as a consulting team, everyone works part-time in essence. And by that hourly, we bill clients hourly and they get paid hourly. And it really has lends itself to people that want to make a good living and have a life. That's the way we position it. And I think it's more productive because you don't, nobody pays us to sit in boring meetings. They only pay us to do important, good work. But what it does mean is some people like to work in the morning and some in the afternoon and some in the middle of the day and some people at night. For the young people through the pandemic and through our monitoring observation is that if you're at the bottom of the food chain here in an organization, you're sort of suffering the brunt of everyone else's asynchronous because Mm. if I'm someone that wraps up at five and you're someone that gets going at noon and wraps up at 10 and there's some analyst somewhere or manager somewhere way, way down in the organization, they're going to think they have to respond to everybody. And so that was an interesting observation Uh, just in that boundary setting. And I think some of this is are things that I've tried to sort of Remember, as we're talking about business situations in either company or with our clients. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, is thinking about how your experience of having your child working with you and realizing that every young child in a workplace or every young person in a workplace is somebody else's Mm -hmm. child. And how would you want them to be mentored? I don't know if there's a question in there, but if you want to add to that. Yeah, I have said for years, everyone has a story. And I think that the business model that we have in the Nemitz group has shown that because we give space for people to deal with and live life in addition to work, we're more aware of their stories, unlike maybe the case if it was always a 40-hour commute into Cambridge sort of environment. And so I think that the appreciation for everyone else's story, whether it's a young person needing to be mentored, whether it's a person who's doesn't come from the same privilege and background, needing that extra hand or someone who's caring for a loved one. That's something I think we've all gotten a much different appreciation for in the last year and a half. How can we treat others like we would want our own kid to be treated, as you're saying, or how we would want to be treated? And I, I think that it's hard to balance that when I don't know if some aspects of remote working have made it better. And I think we're more sensitive to it. And many aspects have probably made it less so because everybody's just a box on the screen and you end the meeting for all. And then how do you think about that person again? No, that's well put. Susan Nemitz, this has been, I, I measure my podcast by how much my cheeks hurt at the end because oh. I was smiling the whole time. And this was oh, way God, up there. You. So thank you very much for sharing everything. And uh, I will, of course, put a link to Corval and Nemitz Group in the show notes for this podcast, as well as, if I may, a link to your LinkedIn profile. Of course. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I'm glad you're taking on topics that aren't all just about science and business of life sciences. I think some of these are really more of the life in addition to the science. So thank you to you as well. Oh, thank you. Those are, they're fun. I think there's actually going to be more of those. Uh, Excellent. So. All right. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Sharing your skills in a traditional or a reverse mentoring uh, situation seems not only to be great for your career, but also a great way to build relationships that might last a lifetime. And really, if 
if you got nothing else out of your work, if it did nothing for your career, why not make friends with someone who uh, has a completely different life experience than you have? I think this whole thing is awesome. I highly encourage it. And as always, um, I encourage you to share this podcast with someone you work with because if you enjoy it, they're going to enjoy it also. I'll be back with another one in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.